0: Martin Luther had decided to accept the invitation to the Diet in the city of Worms, Germany, even though he knew there was a very good chance he was going to his death. The Pope, who was one of the most powerful people in the world, was clearly aligned against him, and, to make matters worse, the Emperor was starting to agree with the papal position.
1: Even though Luther's appearance at the Diet was supposed to be a sidebar discussion, everybody knew that the discussion of Worms was going to be a decisive turning point in the Reformation. The Pope and the emperor, would only accept a recantation of his teachings. Meanwhile, Luther had made clear that many times he would only accept a hearing based on scripture at a church council. Something had to give. I'm Evan
0: Gertner. And I'm Mike Yagley. And this is Grace on Tap. Grace on Tap is a podcast dedicated to a discussion on the history and the theology of the Lutheran Reformation, all of a nice cold beer.
1: Last episode, we covered the proceedings of the first two days of Luther at the Diet of Worms. There was some back and forth, but eventually, everything got worked out, and Luther was extended an invitation with a promise of safe conduct to attend the Diet of Worms.
0: Now, uh, there was some problems, though, because... uh, Different expectations. Yeah, uh, the emperor was expecting a recantation. And Luther is expecting a debate. So... (laughs) You know, things things are are sort of at cross purposes, but, you know, uh, when Luther gets there, and he he meets with the emperor. uh, He has an
1: opportunity to give a speech. Um, Maybe that's not what they expected him to give, but that's what he did. It's about 10 to 15 minutes. First, he makes it clear that he would not recant. No
0: revocation of his uh, position. And he told them why. You know, basically in there. And he gave some different reasons in there. And that's all in the last episode was we went over all that.
1: And second, his response was designed to draw his opponents into the debate that he was itching to have since the beginning.
0: Uh, and, and to help push his opponents along in that. He to say, he, you've got to start having this debate because the, if we don't talk about these things. Then we might have a revolution. This is, the, the 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 people want this to be resolved. And let's get, let's get together. Let's talk about this. And we see here now, Mike. I think
1: not just a, a revolution of ideas that's happening, but this independence of conscience. Luther is advocating by conscience, uh, by reason, by scripture. He is held captive, and he is not going to submit himself to the emperor just because he's the emperor. Ultimately, his conscience is free to read scripture.
0: Yeah, and and you know that was that was a that was an electrifying idea in medieval Germany. Uh, the, the, the you can the, have
1: independent thoughts
0: yeah, unbelievable at that time and, and you know the thing is is that it wasn't just in Germany there was uh, there was a, a revolt happening in in Spain for example that the, the emperor was dealing with so so there was there was change in the air basically all this corruption that had been going on for years and years hundreds of years uh, was really coming to a head and people were tired of it and they were they were ready for something new. So in some ways, it is
1: an interrogation of power that Luther engages in with his speech. And that question is, where is the power? Where is the source of credibility for a people? And if it's in the emperor, then there's a high bar that the emperor has to meet. And reality, the emperor, the pope, the councils, none of them have met that bar of credibility. So where is the the power? uh, The authority for Luther is...
0: Well, it's in scripture. It's scripture. So, so Luther, Luther points to scripture, and and the the Pope is pointing to himself, and and so you have these 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 two very different ideas. And that all comes to a head right there in this speech that Luther gives at the, at the Diet of Worms.
1: Now, at the Diet of Worms, there is actually not quite a conversation between Luther and the Emperor. There is an uh, interlocutor. There is this interrogator between Luther and the Emperor. And John that-
0: von der Ecken. That was who we're calling him. Now, his actual name was John Eck. The guy from Eck. We're calling him the guy from Eck with John von der Eck, so it doesn't get confused with the other John Eck. That who was
1: can... at the debate in Leipzig. Yeah. And he makes it clear that he wants a clear and simple answer, and that he believes that even the invitation to Luther to this debate, uh, I mean, to this Diet of Worms, made it clear it was
0: not going to be a debate. So Luther's response was about as clear as it could have been. He says. Unless I am convinced by scripture and plain reason, I do not accept the authority of the popes and councils, for they have contradicted each other. My conscience is captive to the word of God. I cannot and will not recant anything. For to go against conscience is neither right nor safe. God help me. Amen. Here I stand. I cannot do otherwise.
1: Well, and that here I stand is uh, an issue of debate. I Even when I was in Germany i buying gifts from my children. I bought a pair of socks for Henry. That's in German. says, here I stand, I can do no other. Because he's standing on his socks. <laughs>
0: yeah. so.
1: so, but there's a debate as to whether Luther actually said, here I stand, I can do not otherwise.
0: And I think we talked about this in a couple of episodes ago. Uh, the, the A lot of people were taking notes in in the Diet of Worms. Nobody wrote down that that he said this, this here I stand comment but but from
1: uh, pro-Luther and anti-Luther groups, all these groups that were taking notes, there's agreement on everything else Luther said. So then, where does this quote come from, this Here I Stand? Well, there was a
0: report of the proceedings of the Diet that were put out by Luther's friends. And although it's not known exactly who wrote this, uh, it, it looks like it was a group of people. And typically, when they refer to Luther, they'll refer to him in the third person. Luther said this luther said that but just right there as it's coming into the section on the speech it said it switches to the first person where it says i did this i did that and so it really looks like luther himself was the one who claimed that he said here i stand uh, etc so it's 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 not entirely clear uh it's you know so there's a lot of different ideas you know there there is a big group of people out there who said it was never said yeah and then but of the people who say that it was said that that luther actually did say here i stand there's a lot of ideas on that
1: so mike are we killing a sacred cow here you know it's kind of like when we earlier about the 95 theses said that there may have been no nailing of the 95 theses on the door maybe they were just pasted on or maybe they weren't put on the door at all and, and, you know, there's some ramifications. People are like, you can't take that away. That's my picture when I go to Wittenberg. I stand in front of the castle church doors. And now we're taking away the here I stand. Does that mean that I can't have my kid wear the socks that say, <laughs>
0: <if>, stay here? <laughs> yeah, it really doesn't matter. I mean, these are, these are minor points. Of course, probably the only reason it matters at all is, uh, some of the revisionists, will say that this is an example of Luther's propaganda. That, mm-hmm. that where it, now it's getting into Luther's character and, and that sort of thing, uh, what kind of person he was, that he was a liar, for, and he said this kind of thing for, for the for the purpose of propaganda. So
1: maybe he adds it as he's writing up the proceedings. It, it could just very well be, this
0: is something that he said quietly at the end of the speech it could have said he could have said it there could have been too much noise that nobody else was saying it it could have been a, a hundred different reasons why but not much after it. now as we think of all the reasons why he might have said it
1: not much afterwards it becomes a rallying cry for all others that are going to stand up against the pope and the emperor here i stand and they're saying essentially i stand With Luther, And as Luther stands with Scripture, I stand there as well. Now, von der Ecken, he shouts at Luther. And he says, Lay aside your conscience, Martin. You must lay it aside because it is in error. And it will be safe and proper for you to recant. Although you say councils have erred, you will never be able to prove it. In matters of faith, at least. And even in matters of morals, I fancy
0: it will be much difficulty as well. And Luther shouts back, I can prove it. And, and so he, he makes this big statement. I can prove it. and But there's really no time and nobody wants to get into it. Well, Luther wants to get into the debate, but his opponents don't.
1: So then, interestingly, uh, this exchange happened in German. Then Luther
0: was asked to repeat the speech in Latin. Now, one source I read said that he was calm and relaxed when he gave both versions. And, and another source, which I tend, I personally tend to believe uh said he was sweating profusely when he gave the latin version so uh, and the reason i believe that is because there's a record of somebody yelling out uh and right at that time when he's giving the latin speech and they say if you cannot do it doctor you have done enough this is one of his supporters yeah so it, it almost reminds me of the
1: call and response of a black preacher as he's preaching the the people may respond amen tell us some more Or even, uh, you've done it. Um, And it's kind of like, all right, you can end if you have to. Yeah.
0: yeah. So
1: after he finishes the Latin version, Luther raised his arms like a victorious knight, and he
0: walked out of the hall. Now, he didn't go alone. There were a, a group of Spaniards that chased him out, or basically walked out with him. Now, there is
1: some threat to this, because there is... The Inquisition going on. Yeah, and the, the Spanish
0: Inquisition is happening Well, right no one then.
1: expects the Spanish Inquisition, but, <laughs> but this was a real threat. And after the proceedings, uh, Frederick the Wise mm-hmm. calls in Splayton to his quarters. Now, Splayton is uh, a counselor to Frederick. He is, in many ways, his personal chaplain and lawyer, and he is, in most circumstances, always the conversationalist between Frederick the Wise and Luther is blatant. Because there's no record of those two guys talking. Yeah,
0: Frederick was actually very proud of the fact that he never spoke with Luther directly. Uh, And this was part of his strategy for always maintaining this intermediate position to actually protect Luther. So it was sort of like, I really am not involved. Uh, This is all too lofty for me. And so he just always tried to stay out of it. So maybe the at this proceeding between Frederick uh after
1: the proceedings when Frederick and Spleten are talking about uh, they said that Luther had spoken well at the proceedings but that he was maybe too bold.
0: Yeah, well and that's what uh, that's what Frederick said. Frederick said he that yeah, he spoke really well but well, that's a little too bold for me. Now Frederick was a was a consummate politician, very subtle, where Luther Thus was Thus the name Frederick yeah. the Wise. <laughs> yeah, now no, but Luther was obviously not a politician.
1: So scholars who study uh Frederick the Wise saying it was too bold for me they're wondering is Frederick the Wise bringing a rebuke and and asking splitten to essentially
0: calm luther down the the couple of places i i saw this noted they they said they didn't think it was a rebuke they thought it was just a statement of fact mm-hmm. you know that you know frederick would have been much more subtle much more uh, uh, friendly in the way yeah. he handled things, where it was a little bit too bold for him. It was just a statement of fact. And and Frederick knew that this was not going to go over well with the emperor. And Frederick was right to be concerned. So this is a good point for us to talk about the
1: timeline of the Diet of Worms, because you may have in your mind from movies, essentially, Luther arrives, he gives his speech, he drops the mic, he walks out, and he's kidnapped and taken to Wartburg, and that all might happen within the same day in your mental your mental image of this. But what is more of closer to truth is that Luther gives the speech in German, he gives the speech in Latin, he walks out victorious, but he doesn't right away get on the wagon to Wartburg. There's some events that take place because there is... In fact, quite a bit of desire for negotiation.
0: There was actually the, the the next, I think, Luther stayed for four or five days.
1: And I think this is a wonderful window into when Luther is in dialogue uh, with John Verde, von der Ecken, or he's with the emperor, wherever he's at, Luther is ultimately seeking that the truth of Scripture be heard, and not just that there be some dramatic exit.
0: Yeah, and, and so what we end up with is this period where, and what happens is, is that the next few days are probably some of the biggest challenges for Luther because it's his friends now who are coming to him and asking him, please recant this, or please recant that. We think that we can work with this. We think we can work with that.
1: So they're trying to figure out where the sliver towards compromise could be found. And essentially, I think of this almost as uh, splitting a log and just putting these wedges and wedges and wedges and wedges. And maybe you put enough and everything breaks wide open, or you, you put in and it just explodes. So Frederick's concerned the next day. The emperor called in the electors and a few of the princes, and they asked them for their thoughts.
0: Now, this is this shows that the, that Frederick the Wise was right on the money when he was concerned, because what happens is is that the emperor says, "Okay, what do you guys think?" And they're all sort of hemming and hawing, and he goes, "They okay. ask for some time
1: to just consider their position, because no one
0: wants to speak first and be the the
1: essentially. If I asked you, how much do you want to buy this car for?" If you say a price immediately, I don't have to say any other price. Yeah, yeah. And so the princes, the electors, none of them want to be the first ones to speak. So the emperor says, very well, I will give you my opinion.
0: So the, his, he, give, he has a written response to Luther at this point. And it goes through his ancestors and how they always have supported the pro- Pope. And then he says, a single friar who goes counter to all Christianity for a thousand years must be wrong. Therefore, I am resolved to stake my lands, my friends, my body, my blood, my life, and my soul. After having heard yesterday the obstinate defense of Luther, I regret that I have delayed in proceeding against him and his false teachings. I am determined to proceed against him as a notorious heretic. And in this statement, the
1: emperor is very piously understanding his role of the Holy Roman Emperor is to keep the church and the country united. And so the emperor is largely, by referencing his ancestors who were also Christian princes and obedient to the Roman church, that he has an obligation, a a divine obligation as the emperor to enforce the unity of the church.
0: Now, everybody in that room, all six electors, there were six electors who were there in that room with him when he said this This, And there's pitch. seven total, so only there's, one's missing Only one's missing. So all six of them said, you know what we're on board with, it. including Frederick the Wise verbally said all six verbally said you know what, we're on board with you we totally support your position And big
1: picture, the emperor's position I think is a noble one that it should be the task of all to keep our country united and keep our church united. And so Frederick the Wise and all say, yes, unity, unity is good. But now, interestingly, you said Frederick the Wise uh, vocally proclaimed his support for the emperor when it came down to writing their names
0: on the line for the statement that says, we agree. Frederick does not sign. Frederick and and then Ludwig of the Palatinate. Or Palinate. Palatinate. Pal- Pal- Pal-tan- Palatinate. Uh, so Thank four you.
1: sign it, two do not and uh, we, we're not certain how Frederick got out of signing. He might have uh, just conveniently forgot to do it. I don't know. But Frederick uh, does use the threat of revolution. I, uh,
0: yeah. I, 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 if he did. It, it, I sort of suspect that he did, That he was because he could have very easily have gone into the emperor and said, you know what? Everything you said, I'm totally on board. But if I sign this, my people are going to revolt against me. So please give me a little bit of space here. And, and, you know, knowing just having really gotten to know Frederick the Wise over the the, while we've been doing this podcast, Mm -hmm. that seems like the type of thing he would do is to sort of very gently sort of work around the, the, the signing of that. Meanwhile, Luther is
1: unaware of the status of this debate. And so he isn't sure what's going on. So we've got Luther not sure of what's going on, but probably the people as well aren't sure what these nobles are doing in this closed room. So they're going to bring some
0: fuel to the conversation. Yeah, so they start, all of a sudden, they start seeing the the electors and the emperor and everybody starts seeing these posters around Worms. And on the poster is a picture of a peasant's boot.
1: And this is the Bunshu. This was uh, a visual sign. This is the the rally around um, and revolt. The yeah. peasants are going to revolt.
0: It's basically, and, and everybody understood that when these these posters of the peasants' boot was was a signal of you know getting the 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 electors and the people in power under the foot of the people, and because the people are tired of having the boot on them. So Albert of Mainz
1: sees these and he's terrified. He rushes over to the emperor to ask. For time to negotiate with Luther.
0: Now, the emperor wasn't impressed. The emperor thought, ah, these, these peasants, I'll, you know, he laughs about the whole thing. So then
1: Albert goes to his brother Joachim, who was uh, a strong opponent of Luther, and both
0: Albert and his brother Joachim are electors. Right. And so the two brothers then go to the emperor together to try and get some time to negotiate with Luther, and the emperor agrees. Give- and,
1: and they agree to give him three days to bring some negotiation to Luther. And this is also going to extend the safe conduct. And this was something that was important for Luther, that any delay in Worms be matched with an increase in the days that he will have for safe conduct. Yeah. So he
0: can safely return back to Wittenberg. So so he's got three days. And this is when the the, the arguments that Luther has to field. Now, now we're going to get Luther back having to deal with his friends. And it's not that
1: Albert of Mainz is a friend is necessary, but it's going to bring other people together. into Absolutely, yes.
0: Yeah, uh, uh, Albert of Mainz wasn't essentially, although Albert of Mainz was, he he had some people on his court that were sympathetic to Luther. and And that's
1: sometimes hard because we got this caricature of Albert of Mainz as being the instigator of the sale of indulgences, the guy who buys his position, and essentially somewhat of the, initial dynamite for why luther's even posting the 95 theses um but along the way he seems to have uh, first of all an appeal towards the humanists and this appeal towards um legitimacy and credibility of the sources
0: yeah and so albert of mines is is kind of a complex man Uh, all these characters and it's funny over the years and you mean
1: they're not just flat caricatures yeah
0: you know it's funny you, you get to know them more like we're getting to know them through these podcasts uh, they are complex individuals, and each one of them is very interesting, to me at least. I, yeah. I think they're they're fascinating folks. So, so, Mike,
1: let's take a beer break.
0: Okay. So uh, what do we have today? Today's beer is from Eternity Brewing. Uh, it's Ariel Ace from Eternity Brewing. Now, Eter- Eternity Brewing is a, another brew pub right here, very close to—it's uh, in Howell, which is right next door— to Brighton, Michigan, uh, and I can't believe it's taken us this long to get the Eternity Brewing beer in here. But uh, this is uh, Eternity Brewing is a microbrewery and Taproom room in Howell. Uh, and on their website, they uh, they actually have uh, the they have a little write up about the people who run it. Uh, Dana, it's run by Dana and Mike Tran, uh, They're co founders, both mechanical engineers. They met, I think, in engineering school at University of Michigan um go and, Blue. i'm sorry go blue go blue <laughs> so dana dana worked uh, she she worked at the um witch's hat brewery in south line which isn't also very close to here my now i've had people tell me witch's hat has excellent excellent some of the best beer in michigan mm-hmm. so we'll be having them on a, on a future show, a show
1: and mike had several years of homebrewing experience uh, along with his experience of uh being a mechanical engineer. He got a lot of experience trying to figure out how, how all the beers are made.
0: Now, the the thing is, they they make a big deal about Star Wars. If you go to their their their, their brewery, you go into the the pub there. There's plenty of Star Wars stuff. Not not plenty. There's a little bit of Star Wars stuff you can sort of. See that they're into Star Wars. Uh, and in the notes here, random side notes. Yes, I am obsessed with Star Wars. Don't ask me to pick a favorite. This is Dana writing. I actually like episode one, The Phantom Menace. <laughs> ooh, uh, and ooh. Fighting words. Yeah. <laughs> and so they really, it's, their, uh, the, and when they, when you read about their favorite things to do, one of the things that um, other interests beyond beer uh, group Bible studies. So it's a Christian uh, a Christian brewery, which is And this very particular nice.
1: beer, Ariel Ace, is a dry hopped cream ale uh, with sriracha, uh Ace uh, Belleville hops. Uh, this cream ale flies high with a bright lemon aroma and a smooth flavor with notes of lemon, dill, and grain, according to their site. Let's see if I taste the dill.
0: Yeah,
1: well, I, I, now, I didn't taste any dill. Maybe. Maybe now that they say it. I mean, it's on my mind, and I think I taste it now. Hmm. Hmm. I, I don't have that distinguishing palate.
0: Yeah. No, you bring up a good point. Do you taste I, the lemon? I, t- I, uh, yeah, sadly, I, 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 I'm going to feel like a beer snot, but I taste the lemon and the dill now, now yes. that they've said it. Now but that, that they've said it. Now that they've said it, I could never have picked that out if they didn't say it, but that's uh it's a good beer. I actually went in there. I was having a beer in there on Friday night. I think it was. And I said, "Hey, we're going to be featuring you guys in our podcast. Oh, we well, got to get you this aerial ale." So, so that's you know that's what so. We, is this a paid sponsorship? Kind uh, of? No, no, I paid for yeah, it. paid by me. Yeah. <laughs> so,
1: <laughs> well, let's head back to the city of Worms. Uh, over the next several days, there are visitors to Luther's quarters, and as um, in Luther's works, volume thirty-two, uh, page like one hundred one to page one thirty-one, or something like that. There is this carousel of names that are moving through Luther's quarters.
0: Uh, so one of them is the bishop of uh, representative of the Bishop of Trier.
1: And he wanted Luther to appear before a group of princes and bishops to discuss the situation. But
0: not really discuss it. This not was, another debate. No, no. This is just going to be another opportunity for Luther to recant. And he's not going to
1: do that. On April 24th, Luther took a few friends with him when he went to be interviewed by the bishop. Dr. Vehus, the Chancellor of Baden, was
0: the spokesman for the princes. So he gave a lengthy speech, this uh, this Dr. Vehus And first he says, okay, this is not a debate. This is just another opportunity to recant. Uh, councils don't contradict each other, even though they might have varying views. So that's a,
1: always just this reminder. The view of the councils is they may have varying views, but they don't contradict. Yeah. That's... Uh, I don't know how It's those
0: those fine distinctions we talk about the 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 Roman Catholic fine distinctions and if you spend enough time with the Roman with Roman Catholic theology it's like oh, oh here's another fine distinction so
1: So now so first this is not going to be a debate second councils don't contradict they only vary from one another third even if there were contradictions found between the councils they aren't so bad to justify disregarding the guidance of the councils So and they
0: don't contradict but if they do
1: it's not big Yeah and fourth, if anybody did find a contradiction and saw this as a reason to justify their disregarding the guidance of the councils, it would be an open door to lawlessness and would hurt the church overall. So don't question the councils because they don't contradict. And if they do contradict, it's a small contradiction. And if you do find a contradiction and you bring it up, it just is going to make people feel like they can't listen to anything at all.
0: Yeah, and, and it'll, it'll undermine the fabric of society. And that's what he's getting at here.
1: Yeah. Don't ask too many questions because you don't want to know the answers.
0: So Luther's answer was that he did not have an argument with all the councils. He just only disagreed with the Council of Constance. Now, this is a new piece of information I didn't know. So the Council of Constance
1: is a council that's called in the 15th century. Was it 1413?
0: I, something around right, there. Right, we yeah. don't have the
1: date. You can look it up if you're listening to the podcast and let me know when it was. Now, at the Council of Constance, Jan Hus was called there with a, a, a letter of safe conduct. He arrives
0: and they burn him at the stake. So Luther specifically took issue with the council's position that con- that condemned Huss because it said, and and quote, the Church of Christ is the, because L- Huss said the Church of Christ is the community of the elect. And do you that, see what the danger of that statement is? The Church is no longer
1: defined by the Pope and those who are living in obedience to the Pope and the councils. Now the church is defined by those who are the elect, so, those who believe. So when you think about the one holy Catholic and apostolic church, or the holy community of the believers, uh, when the question is, where is the church? Huss
0: said the church is where the believers are. So and, so this is undermining the power of the Pope. And so the, the council, I'm going to repeat this, because I think I've, I might have muddied it a little bit. The council condemned the position that the church of Christ is the community of the elect, even though that's very, very scriptural. Mm-hmm. And so um, so Luther says, now, this, is, this is a problem. This is not only against the biblical witness, but it's against the Nicene Creed. And so Luther said he will die. He will die to defend the word of God against
1: the teaching of the Council of Constance. And Luther's continued by saying that he understood that it was wrong to stand against those who have been placed over him. And that he had no right to a private opinion. And he he could give way to the opinion of the group if it was seen to be, you know, if he found himself in contrast to scripture, he would again place himself in unity to the Pope.
0: Well, yeah, he said he would be happy to give way to the group if he could be shown how to do it without denying the word of God.
1: And so he's placing as the judge between unity, not just, well, everybody's doing it, Luther, you should do it too, but
0: does it agree with scripture so the princes dismissed luther to try and figure out what their next move is going to be uh, when they invited him back they suggested that he place his writings under the judgment of the emperor so so
1: luther is asked to submit to the emperor and the emperor's reading of scripture
0: and luther says uh, he said he'd be willing to do this if his work is based if his work is judged based on scripture alone so can you trust the emperor to
1: evaluate luther's writings based on scripture alone right and if luther really was comfortable with saying i will submit myself to the emperor because i trust the emperor will look at all that i've done through the lens of scripture alone it'd be we'd be a different place now
0: yeah and luther was willing to do that according to this what i was able to read luther was willing to get say just promise me you'll look at it through scripture and they were not willing to do that.
1: And I think people understood that that
0: that was somewhat of Luther asking the impossible. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So so what's what I th- also found extremely interesting in this is uh, in a previous podcast we said people didn't have problems with the freedom of the uh, freedom of the Christian, uh, but what Luther was specifically being asked to to recant during this was the freedom of the Christian when the princes get together. So you have. The representatives of the Holy Catholic of the of the Catholic Church, the Roman Catholic Church, coming and they say, "Drop Babylonian captivity," and we, the moderate Catholics, along with the Lutherans, can get together and we'll work together on this.
1: And the Babylonian captivity was Luther's attack on the system of sacraments.
0: So now you've got the princes; the, the 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 Pope is out of the picture. Just the princes talking amongst themselves, and they're coming to him. And they're saying, "Drop." the freedom of the Christian. And we can, we can rally because around. Because they're worried
1: about lawlessness. Yeah. If you let people know that you do not have to keep the law to be saved, and that's the big essence of the freedom of Christian, is that uh, we are completely slaves to no one through the work of Christ, and we are completely servants to all through the work of Christ, that our obedience is no longer according to the works of the law. Our obedience is now according to the mercy of Christ. And to them, they hear this as, do whatever you want and God will save you.
0: Yeah. So it's it's a... So what ends up happening is, you know, Luther's not willing to recant
1: anything. And the Archbishop Trier, who thought he had been able to negotiate some great conversation, um, asked
0: Luther to continue the discussion in the dining room. So von der Ecken is back into the mix here. Uh, Von der Ecken is now going to be the representative of
1: the Archbishop. And he realizes that Luther keeps insisting on Scripture alone. So von der Aachen points out that heresies have sprung from people using the Scriptures and twisting it.
0: Yeah, like the like the Arians and Pelagius and, um, for and thousands so, of years.
1: Luther, if you keep insisting on Scripture alone, how can you trust your reading of Scripture is right? Let's place the scriptures within the flow of the traditions of the church. Let's place the scriptures within the authority of the Pope. That way, we have a checks and balances against the heresies of those who have read the scriptures alone and come up with all sorts of twisted heresies.
0: Now, this is actually, I thought, a pretty good argument at this point because Luther had not yet clearly defined how to read the Bible. So what we've got is it's a hole that creates a hole in Luther's theology, like we talked about in a previous episode, where he Luther says there should be no bars on, on how to read the Bible. And you know, and so, you know, von der Ecken is ready to drive right through that. It's, and so
1: he's showing, von der Ecken is showing these extreme examples of heresy to show how scripture could be misused.
0: And that was a mistake because Luther and his friends were able to easily dismiss all of those, those examples. That as there are religion. legitimate
1: ways through using uh, just basic grammar. To see, you read
0: the scriptures this way, none of these errors happen. Yeah, so where von der Ecken misstepped there was, he, he used two, it was too ridiculous in his examples. And so it just, yes. Luther was able to dismiss it and move on. Von der Ecken is asking
1: for um, uh, the teaching authority of the church to be the lens by which everybody reads the scriptures. And Luther just, un, he doesn't trust the church, to be the only lens by which we read scripture. Each individual, through the work of the Holy Spirit and the promise of their baptism, has the right, the privilege, and the responsibility to read the word of God. And von der Recken is essentially trying to erase our privilege of baptism and say the only privilege you have to read the scriptures is if you submit to the church. Luther is saying, the reason I have the right to read the scriptures is not because I submit to the church, but because I'm baptized.
0: And uh, you know, although we're, we're both Lutherans here, and I totally agree uh, with everything Luther said there, it is is—it is an area of, you know, people can, you know, you end the Seventh-day Adventists. So there's all sorts of crazy ways to, uh, <laughs> to try. Right. But if you open the door, uh, what
1: comes inside? Yeah. You know, if you open the door, not only does your friend come in, but all the mosquitoes. Yeah. So let's close the door real quickly. So and we might have some friends who just don't get it.
0: Yeah. And so, so the, the, here we are, you know, and this is, like I said, I, I personally think that von der Ecken had a really good argument, uh, that might have opened up, a, 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 some serious dialogue, but the, he, he, he botched it. And so, uh, by going
1: too extreme, he was able to be swatted away like a fly. Yeah. So eventually the Archbishop of Trier came, he negotia- negotiates directly with Luther. He speaks with Luther kindly and patiently, Um, And maybe this is the meeting that should have happened long ago. In 1518, when Luther first spoke with Cardinal Cajetan and there's these demands for recanting, there was no collegial conversation. It was essentially... Luther, you're wrong. I'm right. I'm smarter than you. Now go back to Germany. And be quiet. And the
0: Archbishop of Trier
1: is gentle.
0: Well, actually, just before that Archbishop of Trier spoke directly with Luther, there was uh, John Cocklus. Oh yeah, so, I yeah, skipped uh, that part. Let's uh, go back to that. Yeah, because Luther met with this Johann Coclius, and I think I'm sp- hoping I'm saying his name right. Yeah, Cochleus. Cochleus, Okay. Uh, he came to Luther's quarters and starts yelling at him. I mean he had he to be, has to be rest-
1: restrained by Luther's friends this is an
0: attack so it's almost maybe Cochleus and Archbishop of Trier a good cop bad cop Yeah maybe maybe so so then after Cochleus comes in and screams at him and, and he has to be restrained then Luther comes to talk to the Archbishop of Trier who's very friendly and they have a good discussion and it is that discussion that probably should have happened way back in 1518
1: but Luther says I don't trust your your words Because it's hard to trust anybody who advocates for the papal bull against me. Yeah. So So then the archbishop asks, well,
0: how can this be resolved? And Luther says, listen, just wait. Yeah. He goes, if if my teachings survive for more than a few years, they're they're from God. It's the idea of... From the book of Acts, Acts chapter 5, where the, uh,
1: the wise teacher, Gamaliel, um, in, in the Council of the Seventy, when they're trying to figure out what do we do about all these people who are talking about Jesus. And Gamaliel says, if it's of God, it will last. If it's not, it's going to wear out in two or three years. And Luther's suggesting that. Just let me
0: teach. And if it's not going to work, it's not going to work. So the archbishop finally suggests, hey, listen, why don't we just submit this to a council? And Luther says, sure, that's great, except uh, my writings speak against the Council of Constance. And so, you know, what we, we need to, you know, I can't, I can't recant those writings under any circumstances. So
1: Luther's reminding the archbishop that if we go into this negotiation at a council, it's not that everything's on the table and some things can be changed along the process. There are certain things that no matter how hard you negotiate, I'm never going to leave this position. I'm never going to leave the position that the word of God has an authority over me. And so this
0: was actually the, I had never heard Luther say anything like this before in my readings. So one thing to think about, Mike, is uh,
1: in the 1530s, as the small called league is preparing for a council at Mantua, that ends up never taking place. Luther writes the small called Articles, which are Luther's statement of, as we enter into this council, these are the things we are never going to drop. It's basically, our talking points. These are our talking points. And so, with the Archbishop of Trier back in 1521, he says, here's my talking point. I'm never dropping the word of God as the only true source and norm for my faith.
0: So, what ends up happening is, and when, he, when Luther says specifically, to, brings up the Council of Constance and says, I will never accept the Council of Constance, what he's basically saying is that, at least my read of that, was that you know I will never allow the teachings of the Pope to overrun the teaching of Scripture. The Pope and the Council can never
1: contradict Scripture, and if they do then I'm going to run towards the scripture. And that's what Luther is saying. And so now the archbishop dismisses Luther in a friendly manner. And shortly afterwards, Luther was dismissed by the emperor and allowed to return to Wittenberg under the safe conduct of
0: as long as he didn't preach and instigate any revolt along the way. So on April 26th, Luther packs up his things and heads back uh, to Wittenberg with a few friends, uh, uh, escorted by the imperial herald and and some troops. And the troops are
1: provided by the emperor because the emperor has promised safe conduct. He sends his troops to ensure that safe
0: conduct is maintained. So he has 21 days of safe conduct. So it's really clear that that after after that 21 days is over, he's going to be a heretic.
1: So he's got some time to get back to Wittenberg. And after 2 days he reaches Friedberg in Hesse where he sent the imperial herald Back to the emperor with some letters to the emperor explaining himself.
0: On the third day, uh, the abbot of the monastery, uh, he's he's continuing to travel and he comes up to Hurstfeld. The abbot of the monastery in Hurstfeld met uh, the the group outside the city gates and, and persuaded Luther to preach to the monks there.
1: And, and Luther really took some persuading. He, he wanted to say, you know, I'm not sure if I should do this. I don't want to lose my safe conduct. And the abbot essentially said, we're hungry for this. We need the word of God. Well, Luther's always going to nourish people the word of God.
0: So a couple days later on May 1st, Luther reads, which is Eisenach. Uh, Again,
1: he's persuaded to preach this time to a large crowd of citizens.
0: Uh, and then on May 3rd, he decided to visit some friends in Mohera. Mohera,
1: yes. Yeah, so these are relatives. This is the city his father left shortly before arriving
0: in Isleben, where Luther was born. So he preached one more time there. This time it was in an open field, since the city didn't have a church. Uh, shortly after he left Molra, uh, he was alone in the woods with his two companions. So there is, um,
1: already now the imperial guard has been sent away. Uh, and that's easy for Luther to do because he's starting to arrive in lands he knows are much more friendly to him. I mean, just see the approach of the abbot or the people in the cities who want to hear him preach. So he is now past Eisenach where the castle of Wartburg is. He is moving up towards Wittenberg and for
0: or five
1: armed horsemen suddenly overtook the small group and demanded to know if luther was one of them <laughs> the driver panics and he goes, him him take him the horseman
0: th- then abducted luther and rode off into the woods so we're going to leave off there and we'll pick up the story uh in our next episode uh just want to say thanks to uh to josh for all of his help on on this podcast uh, thanks to the folks at uh, St. Paul Lutheran Church in Hamburg, Michigan. Luther's Works, Volume
1: 32, which writes of the Proceedings at the Diet of Worms. Uh,
0: Scott Hendricks, uh, Martin Luther, visionary reformer. I believe he was that one. Yeah.
1: W.H.T. Dahl, in uh, 1921, wrote, At the Tribune of Caesar, leaves from the story of the life of Martin Luther.
0: And this one, that, that particular, uh, that's where they had the whole thing on Glampion, Glapion which we talked about in the last episode. I probably should have included that in the notes uh, then. And Um, then also
1: James Kittleson, which is...
0: Always a great resource, James Kittleson. I I really, really enjoy his. Uh, Roland uh, Bainton? Uh, here I stand. And David Whitford's Luther, A
1: Guide for the Perplexed. So, you can contact us at graceontap.podcast at
0: gmail.com. Uh, let us know if you'd like to host a road trip. We always like to get out. A, you want to provide us any corrections or accurate dates? <laughs> yeah, that, that'd be great too. Uh, also, you can catch us at graceontap-podcast.com or catch us on Facebook at Grace Untap Podcast.
1: We appreciate any reviews. You can post on iTunes and help to get
0: the word out. Okay. Prost. Prost.